This is the Motley Fool Money Mailbag. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, our very special Sunday mailbag edition. Nope, New Year, same intro because it's special. Because it's Sunday, because it's the mailbag, and because I'm here with Andrew Ram Page Esquire, if you don't mind. Mr. Page, good morning. Good morning. Um, I'm thinking we add a sir or something to that. Oh, you know, okay. Lord Andrew of Page. Lord, that's the one. That's the Lord one. Lord Andrew of Page. That could that could definitely that could definitely work. That's why I, we um, that's why we brainstorm these things. Yes. <laughs> we're covering all the big issues, mate. Uh, that's <laughs> it for the podcast. We've 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 peaked. It's early, but we're done. Um, mate, I am curious. Mm-hmm. Does does your forty five hour uh, Sunday morning ritual continue through January, or do you give yourself a break? What, what's the what? What does what does peak athlete uh, do in, in in the middle of January? <laughs> well, you know that that uh, those of us that take this thing very seriously, we never let up. Oh, yeah. So yeah, straight through. Oh, okay, straight, straight through. through. No, no, yeah. no peaking and tapering. Just just no. peak performance the whole time. No, that's that's for the week. <laughs> the strong the strong never stops for the week exactly <laughs> for the week exactly i love it mate that is that is brilliant hey uh, should we get into some questions i'm keen to get into some questions because you you did put the call out before christmas i and did we and we got of, so many questions which is awesome love so it which is great it would probably help if we got through more than three questions an episode <laughs> um my favorite my favorite thing is a couple of weeks ago you said maybe we should do it quickly i said mate that's what we try and do every week <laughs> yes <laughs> The, the strategy isn't the problem. It's the execution that's yep. the issue. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that was very much a, a thought bubble. And, and I, as soon as I said it, I realized. Mm. <laughs> exactly. That's right. It's important to know one's own limitations and then set, set standards accordingly. I exactly. Think. Exactly. All right. Let, let's kick off with a question from Jake then and see how we go. See if okay. we can, if the, if the, if par is three, let's try and at least beat that, shall we? Okay. Well, I'm confident. Maybe we'll get four or five in. All right. Jake says, hello, Scott. What is Strawman Phillips? And Andrew, it's an online investment club page. Do you like what I did there? I just didn't bother asking because Jake's done it for us. I am after some general feedback, says Jake, around restructuring a portfolio. Thanks to Scott's relatable and down-to-earth approach and advice, I've been investing increasing amounts in shares since the age of 22-ish. Nice work. And was lucky enough to inherit some additional shares from my grandfather a few years ago. I'm now 40. He says, hopefully that is just young enough to still warrant a little hate from you, Scott. Yes, Jake. Yes, it is. I do hate you. Not as much as I hate the 20-year-olds, but enough. I hate you enough. And I want to sell some of the holdings, he says, in larger banks and companies to free up some cash to reinvest in companies with perhaps more room for growth. I like that. Over the years, reading and listening to Scott and now Ram on the pop machine, I've developed a decent understanding around the psychological and temperamental nature of investing, as well as some confidence towards investing in the share market. However, I haven't put much effort towards learning how to crunch the numbers to evaluate a company for myself, and I'm still fairly limited in my understanding of this process. I've tried briefly but I find I end up with lots of questions that lead to more questions. I know that feeling. I follow yeah. the Motley Fool who says, and I get recommendations there, and I'm aware of options such as ETFs. My question is this. If you both woke up one day and had lost your capacity to evaluate companies but still wanted to invest, what approach would you take to continue investing in smart ideas? Or do you think I have to bite the bullet and develop more knowledge around understanding the numbers to evaluate companies for myself? If so, how would you suggest I start this process? 
Hmm. He said, I enjoy the podcast. And funnily enough, for a financial podcast, I even get a few laugh out loud moments each episode. <laughs> Many thanks, Jake. Jake, I'm going to assume you mean laughing with us rather than at us, but I'm not going to ask you which uh, which of those is true because some, some, uh, some questions are best at, not asked. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> Never ask a question unless you know the answer is the old political uh, political <laughs> yes. inquiry approach. I'm going to take that very same approach and assume that uh, you're laughing with us. Uh, really good, some really really great points from Jake. Um, mm. By the way, starting at 22-ish and then adding increasing amounts every year, Jake, you will be completely fine, mate, uh, as long as you keep diversified and and stay sensible. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, um, Jake's question is a good one, mate. He's saying, "Look, I kind of get companies, but I kind of don't get numbers. And what do I do? Is is there a is there a strategy for me, or do I have to make some different decisions around, uh, you know, basically biting the bullet and, and and learning more on the in the process?" I mean, I I think I think the hard answer answer is is that yeah, you kind of need to learn some numbers, some accounting. I mean, it's confronting and intimidating but it's not as hard as i think people like to make out it's pretty boring <laughs> it's pretty, <laughs> it's pretty dry um it can be pretty esoteric at times too but i think like any subject domain the big the big ideas aren't complicated right and i don't think yeah. they're beyond anyone of of you know average intelligence um uh, mm. even below average intelligence frankly given given the investing class that that is out there and the professional investing class i should clarify um so yeah <laughs> so yeah I, I i i think you do yourself a disservice if you start off by thinking i just don't want to learn i understand that it is intimidating yeah. and that you're not there yet but rather than say is there somewhere is there a path forward where i just never have to look at this stuff uh, I'll come back to that. I don't think so. I, I would encourage you more to just to don't feel as though you have to be an expert on day one or even after a week of intense study or a month or six months. It just it, it is all of this stuff is a lifelong journey. I've been doing it for decades. I still learn stuff all the time and I still cringe at some of the stuff I used to think very firmly. Yeah, about. I know. <laughs> yeah. I know. Mate, that is so true, by oh. the way. And not even that long ago, oh, right? Like some things yeah. like, oh, I, you got this, I never, ever, ever will listen to any of these podcasts retrospectively. Because, <laughs> um, I, yeah, but but you'll get there, right? And and yeah. Yep. I just feel why handicap yourself now? If for whatever reason, just like I just know that it is, it is a hard pass for me to even go down that path. Yeah. Can you do it qualitatively alone? Probably, if you take a very wide lens and you apply some general heuristics and understand that you know the bad ones will probably reweight themselves to something that's negligible and the good ones will do okay. But I, I just, I feel as though, so I don't, I'm hesitant to say, no, it's impossible because it's probably not, but I, I do feel as though you're fighting with one arm tied behind your back. So take the effort, take, take, take the effort to, you know, maybe, maybe you just sort of say, Hey, this month I'm just going to get, I'm going to try and watch, watch some YouTube videos on the profit and loss statement. You know, um, uh, this next month I might do some stuff on metrics, the PEs, the price to books, et cetera, et cetera. And gosh, there's so much good stuff out there for free, whether it's blogs or podcasts or YouTube. or the, So d even if you're non, not a reader, um, there's some really, I mean, YouTube and social media is full of rubbish, but there's actually some really, really, really good stuff there as well. 
and uh, and you'll find it with with a bit bit of bit of searching around and you know slowly but surely you'll get there and 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 you will now have a and because most people can't be bothered you'll now have a bit of an edge and an edge is is exactly the kind of thing that you should have an in investing because if you what's the saying if if you look around the table and you can't work out who the patsy is it's it's you um yeah don't don't be the patsy I love that, mate. I think, um, again, as always, you've, you've pretty much nailed it. I, Jake, I think, so a couple of things. Um, mate, if you've been doing it for a while and you're kind of still not at that point, so know yourself is a really important part, right? A really important thing, I think. Um, if to invest, you had to be a musician or an artist, I would have to give up and buy ETFs. Uh, there are some skills I have. <laughs> uh, very into Liam Neeson. I, ha- I have particular skills, as Liam Neeson might say, though I won't try to do the accent. Um, and uh, and I will use those particular skills to help me invest. But uh, if those particular skills were different skills, then I would struggle, right? And I think so. I guess I'm. I guess I'm. Andrew's 100 percent right. Um, with an initial caveat from me, which is if you know that you know that you know uh, that it's you know either you're not going to do it or you you don't want to do it or you're not going to be good at it because it's just people are wired differently, right? Um, if I do my wife's job, she'd do my job. We'd both go hungry. Um, and that's you know not 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 because she's she's a bloody PhD right she's a very smart lady uh, and could she apply herself and, and do the process probably um, but you've kind of you know Buffett talks about winning the Avarian lottery waking up or being born sorry wired a certain way with certain skills that happened to help make him a fortune which you know fifty years earlier or, or hundred years later might have you know may not have um, that that's that's a kind of a reality of of the the world that we're in so mate i i'm with ram i, I think you should absolutely go on if you have the interest and inclination and you think you're half good at it, the aptitude right the general uh general ability to kind of get this stuff then go to the work it, it's absolutely worthwhile you may find it fascinating interesting whatever if you find yourself with a like a i mean i could but i, I really really don't want to that's okay too um i, I would say as much as i, I support ram's exhaust uh, exhortation to go and do these things if it's kind of one of those i know this isn't going to work then wasting your time energy effort and probably doing it badly for for a while and getting discouraged and giving up anyway uh, there are some things you shouldn't start mm-hmm. so i think if you're in any way wired interested you know have the aptitude then give it a red hot go if it's never going to be for you then that's okay i think the qualitative stuff to ram's point i would suspect if he, here's the problem right the, the truly qualitative, we say qualitative, we don't kind of just mean looking at it from the outside going, oh, pretty logo, it does some cool things, a lot more customers coming in, that's worth buying. True qualitative would be, you know, how attractive is the business, how sticky are its customers, how likely is it to keep winning against its competitors, does it have enough growth left? They're kind of numbers-based qualitative assessments anyway, right? It's not like, it's not purely aesthetic. And I know you're not saying that, Jake, by the way, but, you know, it's it's harder to do than you'd imagine if you don't have that underpinning of the business model stuff, which isn't numbers necessarily, but it is numerical concepts. Um, you don't need to do the maths of it, but you kind of have to get the idea of capital light businesses, for example, or recurring revenue businesses, or competitive advantages, or all those kind of things. Trapdoor Moat's one of Ram's favorites. Mm. You kind of got to, and they, they are they are expressions of of mathematics at, at some level mm. so lo- long answer i won't i won't drag it out anymore um mate if you uh, give it a go if you're even slightly interested give it a red hot go for a while and see if it starts to work and see if it starts to really grab your attention the, i will i'll put one i'll answer it slightly um i'll go one step back from you mate in terms of what he could learn i would i would grab half a dozen books mm. and read those books and see if you start to understand the concepts because the maths is easier when you have some concepts to apply it to, I, 
I learned about a concept that I had. A, I was doing. It was a course called um, Finance for Non-Financial Managers. So I was working for Heinz at the time. I was twenty something, not very many, twenty four, I guess, twenty five, something like that. I went to this course. The company sent me on this course because I was an analyst, and so kind of you know, it was. I, I wasn't. I wasn't, you know, um, completely ignorant of numbers, but I wasn't a financial manager. I wasn't an accountant or a financial controller. I did this course and, and the lecturer was brilliant. And the course kind of helped me think through things like um, the ability of, of gross profit to pay for your fixed costs. So once those fixed costs were paid for, it all falls straight to the bottom line. Mm. Now that's really obvious stuff to me now, 20 something more than that years later, <laughs> closer to 50, 30 years later than I'd like to admit. Um, you know, it's, it's, so it's, you know, it's, it's not hard, but that, that, what helped me there was the math. And it was literally buckets. He had a picture up there. It was like, here's, we're filling this bucket and the bucket's fixed cost. And once the bucket's full, then you have all this money drips over the top of the bucket and goes to this. And I'm like, oh, wow. And the scales literally fell from my eyes. And that was kind of, along with reading The Motley Fool, not as a plug, but I literally, you know, I discovered The Motley Fool in a newspaper of all things uh, way back in 98. Gosh, and, you are um, old. I know, right? And, and so add those things together and you start to get a, you start to get a picture. So grab some books. Um, Good to Great by Jim Collins is the first one I'd go for. Read both of, both of Peter Lynch's books, one up on Wall Street and Beating the Street. Oh, yeah. Uh, rewind this and hear it again. Have a listen. Um, read the essays of Warren Buffett. Uh, I, if you start there and you go, okay, I get all that. I like all that. It all starts to make sense. Then it's telling you something. A, it's going to help fill in some... People learn from stories, right? Some of, some of us are lucky enough to learn from the numbers only. Most of us learn from stories. Those, I think four books, did I give four books? Those four books are where I would just literally read all four and then, and then reassess your question, reassess our answer, and then see how you go from there. Nice. Uh, let's go to a question from Nick who says, Hi, Scott. And then in brackets says, And Ram, but... As I'm a property guy, probably best to leave him out uh, with a with a laughing emoji. Um, I'm not sure why you leave him out if you're both property guys, but I think maybe he's uh, he's pain. Uh, I don't know why he's excluding you. Anyway, we all, we all, we all love, love our echo chambers. Is you know we're, we're all guilty of that. Well, Nick says he's a property guy. I would have thought he'd want you front and center. Anyway, um, I, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, I really love the show. I haven't missed one since hearing you on the Property Couch podcast. Thanks, mate. And now I feel confident that simply adding the Vanguard ASX 300 ETF is a straightforward and relatively safe way of filling out our portfolio without needing to spend all my spare time tracking the fortunes of individual companies. That's a perfectly great way to do it. A few weeks or months ago, you mentioned your kid has a Sharesies account where you were helping him learn about investing and he bought businesses he was interested in. That's absolutely true. Everything I've seen you need to be 18 plus before buying shares, says Nick. My kids are 13 and 10. Thanks to us talking about our investment portfolio and them reading Barefoot Kids, great book, they want to start investing. He says, we're only talking about a few hundred dollars. It's all about the experience, process, and habit. So my questions, how do you actually go about helping kids buy shares? It seems to get very complex because the assumption seems to be you're trying to do a tax dodge. <laughs> Why can't an under 18 buy as many depreciating assets as they want, but can't buy anything their future self will thank them for? That's a very good question. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Really appreciate any ideas and suggestions you have. And that's from Nick. Nick, it's, it's a great question, mate. It's not that they're expecting you, you to be doing tax dodges. It's the fact they know that under the old rules, lots and lots and lots of people were dodging tax using exactly this approach and it is one of those things where 
you know, the old, you don't hear it very often, uh, you know, uh, that, that, that kind of sarcastic line, this is why we can't have nice things. That's exactly why, right? Uh, the system is there. Plenty of people exploited the system and the government said, well, sorry for you people who are doing it properly. You can't have it because they screwed it for you. And that's kind of the truth, right? You either let people, you know, if I had three kids, uh, each of them with a $20,000 tax-free threshold, I could employ them. I could put my shares in their name. I mean, $60,000 worth of dividend income, right? Before I paid a cent in tax on my investments. If I, imagine having five kids. So, Nick, I absolutely hear you. You're absolutely right. The government has no choice realistically. I mean, there probably are better solutions. You could have a think about what they might be, but I don't have a really good one. Um, mate, yes. So we have the Sharesies is a, uh, an online stockbroker. They're based in New Zealand. They're not Chess sponsored. So I wouldn't put large amounts of money there compared to what I can get from Chess. I have done work and do work with Sharesies for the record. So full disclosure there. Um, I do a little video for them on a Monday morning. So that's just what I do. Um, so, you know, we, we kind of, um, I just want everyone to know that there's a relationship there. I'm not saying you should use Shares or shouldn't use them, but you should know that that's there. Um, I did it for my young bloke for a couple of reasons. One, super easy to use. The app is really straightforward, really obvious. Even the company logos come up. And for a kid, it's just a super, super, super easy to use. By the way, it's not just for kids, it's for adults as well, but it's just an easy one to do. Brokerage is really, really cheap because they're not chess sponsored. Um, but to your point, mate, I, he's also talking about hundreds of dollars. Um, I invest some money for him separately. He doesn't know about that um, unless he hears the podcast, but frankly, he's not going to. He doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't care him on TV. He's not going to listen to the podcast. Um, so yes, uh, but the Shazies account, we set up as a second account specifically to build that interest, to really get him involved, to give him a chance to actually make some of those decisions. Um, in terms of how kids buy shares under 18, uh, you're right about the depreciating assets, mate. It's, it's a funny one, isn't it? You can, I mean, a kid could buy a car, frankly. Uh, it couldn't drive it, it could buy one. Um, and there'd be no restrictions, but buying shares, I don't think it's the nature of contracts. The, um, if you have a contract with someone, you have to sign paperwork and you don't, you, you can't legally sign a contract when you're under 18. Uh, the way to do it is you set up the account in your name with the child as the, tr- uh, so is you as the trustee for the child. So it'd be John Smith, as trustee for Jenny Smith, if Jenny Smith was the was a 10 or 13 year old. Uh, that's how it would work. Uh, you use their tax file number and you have a bank account in their name. They can have their own bank accounts, by the way. They just can't have brokerage accounts. So you have a bank account in their name for the for the cash. If you want to put some cash in there regularly and, and buy from that account. Or in the case of uh, shares, you just transfer money directly to the shares' kind of holding account and they then make the you make the trades from that from that amount. Uh, so you kinda of, you kinda of put the fund the account in advance. Uh, rather than with uh, some brokers where you, you make the trade and then they take the money out a couple of days later. Mm. So it really simple, really easy. I don't care if you don't use shares or you do use shares. Um, I used it for, for young because it's just easy and it was obvious and it was there. There's others. Um, the other thing I like about shares is, by the way, I also really like Perla. Uh, Perla's the one I use my the, with his other, the money that I invest for him. Um, the great thing about both of those is they're super kid friendly. They're also not hyper trading accounts. They're not trying to get you to day trade, take margin, buy foreign exchange, mm-hmm. trade CFDs, whatever else. They're just like, hey, you know, and I don't know, circumstances will change. I always I always fear uh, giving too many wraps to people or companies because you kind of go, well, three, three years time, they might change and be entirely different. Right now, uh, in, in late 2023, when we're recording this, I know it's going to air later than that, um, they're just they they genuine they're, they're long-term investors they're investing for the right things their ethos is is really great i love what they're doing the way they're doing it so shares and pearl are both really 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 great for kids for anybody again for adults who want to get in the straight and narrow fantastic but for kids great start pearl is great uh you can buy shares like chess sponsor for six bucks a trade i think um shares is a percentage fee so either is completely fine uh, as others out there as well obviously um but yeah you give them a go um yes yeah, so you set your account your name as trustee for your child or children 
and their individual tax file numbers so you can show the ATO that it's their money, it's for their, their benefit. Uh, and again, uh, if there's a bank account linked to it, again, the bank account in their name with their tax file number against it. You basically want to show the ATO everything is all about them. And when they turn 18, then you simply transfer those assets to them, uh, to their, their legal name uh, from that trustee account. And I'm no tax expert. I can't promise you to get tax advice as always, if you're not sure. Um, but to the best of my knowledge and for what I've been uh, advised, that's the best way to demonstrate to the tax office that you're on the straight and narrow. Yes, Sorry, yeah. Ram, that was a bit of a monologue from me, mate. Your thoughts? No, it was good. So, so, so it means um, I, I don't get hit with a capital gains tax on the transfer. Correct. Yeah, okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, now, I will say, yeah. just sorry, just really quickly, mate, um, there's still a cap on the amount of interest they can, they can earn, uh, so dividends they can earn before they get absolutely smashed on tax. Uh, um, uh, uh, you can't get around that. I think it's, it used to be $416 a year. I can't remember it is now. You, you just can't get around that uh, with, with shares. You can do it in your name, uh, but then you've got to pay capital gains tax when it gets transferred. Mm. Uh, that might be worth your while. You can do it in your name and they can just decide when they want the money. You can sell it you know, for them. They can affect it. It can effectively be their account under your name. Um, uh, there's not much in the way of other options. You can use insurance, investment bonds and other things, uh, which is a whole different field. But if you want shares, and I, I like this, particularly as I said for my young bloke, it was like, but he's got, he's got Microsoft and Amazon and Tesla and uh, Woolies, I think, and ARB and maybe something else. Um, it, it was just, just basically so that he could buy businesses he likes and see them go up. And he asked me the other day, hey, which one have I made most money on? I said, oh, it was, it was Microsoft up 44% or something. And I was like, oh, wow. And I, you know, I said, mate, you've made this much money, you're doing nothing. Now, some of those messages, and of course, the, the fact he owns parts of businesses, other lessons, I think, is a 10-year-old. But for, for kids that are 13, 10, as, as yours are, Nick, uh, they're the sort of lessons I'd want to be teaching. Sorry, Ram Kipka. No, no, that's great. Uh, yeah, my kids are the same age, more or less. Um, I thought about it a number of times, but we're just always put off by the red tape yeah. and the hassle. So I don't do it for my kids. It probably sounds really <laughs> um, uh, yeah, negligent. But I, I don't think they care about legal yeah. structures and taxation arrangements. <laughs> yeah, right. I go out on a limb there. I don't think they give a stuff. Or they yeah. – so you uh, look, this is going to be a shameless plug, but um, <laughs> I think all that matters is that they get the experience and they get the lessons, yeah. right? So go to Strawman, create a free account in their name. Or, you know, we just get an email, ask you for an email address and set a password and a username. Mm. And there's a paper, you can you can paper trade the market. Gosh, I hate that term, paper trade. Paper invest, <laughs> paper invest yeah. in the market. And and yep. they, they will have a portfolio that they can see. They can see a little chart of how they're performed, a little pie chart of what their portfolio looks like. And then in the background, you can just make that whole at some point if, if you mm -hmm. want, you know, uh, all proportionally yeah. so, because we give you $100,000 worth of play money. You might not want to give them 100000 <laughs> a 10-year-old $100,000. But I only say, I mean, look, I'm sure there's other ones out there as well. Find it that, it, and that way it's kind of like they get the experience and then yeah. they get the lessons and they will see, oh, wow, I did this at 13 and now I'm 18 and wow, it's really mm -hmm. grown a lot. And there, there is a lesson to be learned there and then you can, then they can start doing it properly or you can just do a transfer at that kind of point just, just to make it easier. Um, yeah, I, I, think, I think that gets around it, but it is frustrating yep. that, it's, that it's not easier. Yeah. Super annoying. Yeah. Super annoying. Uh, and yeah, and I, I mean, I wish there was a better solution. There's just not, unfortunately. That's just kind of sucks. Um, mate, let's go to another question from someone who is choosing to be anonymous. Hi, Scott and Andrew. I'm hoping to get your thoughts on how to recognize your own red flags when investing. 
Hmm. Several years ago, in a fit of FOMO, fear of missing out, I bought Zip shares at the height of the buy now, pay later bubble. I then watched the share price drop 95% and bought further small amounts on the way down. For full disclosure, mostly out of desperation to reduce my average cost base. Stupid, I know. And since then, I have ignored it. Yeah, when there, I first bought been there, shares, done that is all I'll say. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, you could have reduced your AMP cost base massively <laughs> the last 20 years and still lost a fortune. Yeah. When I first bought shares, I knew it would be high risk, but I did some research and I chose Zip as I thought their ability to let you pay off larger loans in more installments, i.e. $5,000, would be attractive to people who are financially responsible, but maybe needed to pay off a new couch or a TV over time, especially with the rising cost of living. I also liked that the company was voluntarily compliant with Australian financial regulations. I was happy then to buy and hold for the long term and see what happened over five or 10 years. Recently, says our anonymous questioner, I took another look at Zip because I was thinking of selling my shares. But although I am more than 50% down, I feel my original investment thesis is still there. And Zip has reduced costs, reduced their timeline to be cash flow positive and simplified their expansion plans to focus on the US market. So here's the question. How do I know if I'm really being objective versus being affected by my own biases? I've tried to ignore the share price, look purely at the investment thesis. But am I ignoring macroeconomic conditions too much? Or my bias to be proven right and make money back? Warren Buffett said, be fearful when others are greedy and greedy when others are fearful. But I'm not Warren Buffett. And I can't tell whether I'm being reasonable or an idiot. (laughs) I love the honesty. If your thoughts on Zip, I'd appreciate it. But mostly I'd like to know how you guys have learned to recognize your own biases. And do you have any tips to know when you need to get out of or push on with a risky investment? How do you recognize your own behavioral investing red flags? Thanks so much for your time. I've been a regular listener for some years now and always enjoy a new episode on the podcast machine. And that's from Anonymous. Uh, so Mr. or Mrs. Anonymous uh, has uh, has sent in that question. Really, really good one, mate. Um what what do you do you have any of your own biases or, or personal red flags you can think of mate and how, how do you oh, yes. how do you deal with them how do you overcome them <laughs> gosh how long have we got um, <laughs> yeah ton of them ton of them um it, you know it's such it's it's a really difficult one because i think we are just exceptionally talented at fooling ourselves so i'm aware of them and there is even a little voice in my head at times when I'm being guilty of, of suffering from one of them. Um, but I can still rationalize my way out of that quandary pretty easily. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, yeah, no, I know that this would normally be considered anchoring and that, but in this instance, I have reevaluated but. it. And I think, you know, so, so, it, yep. you know, and, 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 and then, but I, but I will look myself in the mirror and say, hand on heart, no, I think I'm being objective. Um, mm. But there is that little nagging sensation. Am I though? Am I? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> and so I, I, I think all you can do is be aware of it and, and ask yourself the question and try and be honest. Um, but I don't know mm. if you can ever know for sure. The, the, the usual um, the tactic I, I tend to use is to write my investment thesis down before I buy it, which we've often talked about. Mm. This is how I understand mm. the business. This is what I think the business will do. This is what I think is a good price. 
this is what I think could go wrong and this is what it would look like if it did go wrong and this is how I would react in, if that was to turn out to be true. You know, so what, what could happen and if it did happen, what, how would I react? And kind of like setting that in stone. It doesn't guarantee anything, but it does, it does help mitigate it because when you sort of go back and read what I thought a year ago in light of a 50% decline or increase, you know, I can say, well, I did say that at the time. Now, can I... What new information or data is out there that can allow me to rationally reframe what I thought? Um, and maybe you can, um, but, but but it's just it's just a bit harder to do when you've sort of prescribed the possible outcomes and the and the reactions to that. And you're never going to be able to cover every eventuality, but but it does help, I think. I, um, mm. So that's the best I've got, which is a really, really unsatisfying answer. Um, <laughs> and I don't think you can ever get rid of it, right? Like I, I, mm. I imagine that Buffett himself, even as an octogenarian and you know many, many decades of successful investing, I'm sure suffers from some biases, right? Um, yeah, yeah. You know, much less than most people, I'm sure, but still, <laughs> they're still there. And yeah. you know, it's it's yeah. it's like denying human your own human nature. It's kind of it's kind of not possible to do. So that's a that's a really disappointing answer. I wish I could sort of say, well, here are the three things that I suffer from, and I do this, <laughs> and that means I don't suffer from them. Uh, it was fixed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I'm just being honest. I I don't think so. Other than, I mean, here's the other thing, right? And this has plagued me for a long time. Is it? Is, is probably best described as imposter syndrome. I was like, what the hell do I know? You know, I'm like the doubt. <laughs> yeah, you're lying right. in bed, staring at the ceiling late at night, just thinking, oh my God, mm-hmm. I'm a complete fraud. What am I? don't know. Do I Who really know? Do this? Yeah. yeah, yeah gosh. Yeah. I, oh my God. The world's crashing in on me. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And you can, you can be so cautious as to be paralyzed with, with you. you we've talked about this previously where investing is this weird um, endeavor where you want to have enough arrogance to think that the market is wrong and you're right, <laughs> and yet the humility to recognize that the market is probably more right than wrong, and, and, and yep, yep, you know, yep. like that is that is a very hard circle to square. Uh, like, what do you what do you want to be? You're the person who is clearly right, and the market doesn't know what it's talking about, or is or is it the other end where the market is always right, and I, I've got yeah. no chance of doing better than it? It's very mm. difficult to do. Um, so yeah, I, I'd be keen to hear how you deal with it, mate, because that's the best I've got. It's really tough, isn't it? I mean, badly is the answer, right? Mm. But again, as you said, um, I, yeah, recognize your own humanity, I think is, is step one. Um, it's also, I, <clears throat> I've really, you know, our listeners know this, I've, I've immersed myself in behavioral psychology and behavioral finance. Um, and I think... I think it's that. I think I think it's that. I think the other thing I try and do is even within my stock picking, go back to the I've tried to base my investing approach in things that I've seen work in the past and try and do those things often enough and correctly enough that over time I'll do okay. Mm-hmm. Which is both a really vague, incredibly vague answer, but also as bad as true and honest as I can be. And so if I think about the way I've invested over time, uh, I have, and your, yours is, again, we, we value the same things, but go about it very differently, which is fascinating. Um, you know, I'm, I'm much more likely to buy businesses I know well, right? As a, as a salve for getting things wrong. 
I could I could look at business I don't know quite so well and hope I'm right and make some assumptions, or I can say, I don't know, too hard pile. So the first thing I'd say is a big too hard pile. If I don't know, I don't know, I leave it alone. Mm. Uh, not that I necessarily know that I get the other ones right, but I, I'm really, really quick to say, I don't know. So with Zip, I didn't buy it. I didn't buy Arthway either. And, you know, it went from $4 to 150 or something. So, you know, choose your, choose your examples carefully. If I bought both, I would have made a squillion dollars. Um, so, you know, there, there is that. Um, I think, so I think, it, I, think it's, I think it's largely that. I think it's buy what you know um, and, and know what you're buying. I think for me, it is trying to implement for myself as said, those things that tend to work so i tend to buy businesses with high competitive advantage where i can find them now the problem i've got answering your question anonymous is that you talk about zip being a risky investment i don't make those ones so and honestly i, I don't mean to sound holier than thou but part of how i avoid the psychological bias is not doing that um and plenty of people do and maybe they do fine out of it i didn't buy Arthway or zip or a million other things because i looked at it and went I don't know. Seems pretty risky. Maybe the upside is big. Maybe it's not. Maybe it goes well. Maybe it doesn't. I don't know. And so I'm just not going to do it. So I kind of put my own barricades around my investing style to try and keep me in the on the straight and narrow. To try and keep me in the uh, you know the mainstream you know fastish flowing waters without without running the risk of going up against the rocks. You know, um, I give up some potential upside, but and and at the same time in doing so. Uh, hopefully protect myself against some downside risk not all risk uh, share price risk business risk plenty there i've bought some absolute stinkers before so i'm not again i'm not saying a perfect i'll say i've got this right and i'll say i've sold for it but i kind of just try and do the, the the right things right more often than not and tempering i also lucky temperamentally i'm not a risk taker and i don't need excitement from the the market to really feel like i've I, you know I, i've done anything so it's kind of like you know my portfolio is full of I got Sol Pats and Berkshire, right? It's like <laughs> if there are two more boring businesses on the on the markets, I don't know what what they are. Um, uh, you know. Um, now I, uh, let's talk about Kogan for fun. Uh, I haven't done that for a while. Um, Drink. When you think about exactly right, it's been a very long time between drinks. Um, when you think about Kogan, the you know that that was riskier than most. And I looked at that, and like you've done with Zip, I said I think this company is going to continue growing. I think people are using it in increasing numbers. I think that continues it at pace and, and if and when I'm right, then I will generate me really meaningful returns from that outcome. Um, but it didn't, it didn't require me to take too many guesses about what might happen. I might still be wrong about my assumptions, uh, but I've been roughly, roughly right. I'll tell you my biggest, my biggest, I also, I also try and turn my biases to my own advantage, right? So mm. uh, last one for me, um, I owned Kogan when it was 20 something dollars. It's now about five, right? Now I bought some cheaper and some more expensive than the current price. So uh, I, I'm not necessarily losing. I haven't lost, you know, I didn't buy them at 20, but I could have sold at 20. I didn't. And I didn't because I said, good businesses over time will go well. Uh, I will let it play out. I'll let this investment thesis play out. I won't try and get too clever on valuation. I'll let it play out. Uh, I've made mistakes in the past. I've said many times about Domino's selling at 13 bucks. I thought I was smart because it had gone from eight to 13 and therefore I was a genius. Then I went to 140 and back to 50. Now, you know, you can do the maths on how much money I left on the table on that one. Um, so yeah, I, I think I think harnessing the truisms of investing history is probably my, and then investing accordingly is my best way of almost kind of putting putting biases in my favor almost. You know, the, the things that are more likely than not to happen, if, do, do more of those. Um, rather than trying to guess which one might be the next 
X, Y, or Z. Last quick thought from me, which is not about the biases, but about maybe yours, Anonymous. Um, you talked about Zip, and you talked about some of the things you liked about it. And what I what I sense is a, a an ethical interest. Maybe maybe you thought it was better business because of those things. Um, but the idea of larger amounts of money, so you know, at a target people who weren't doing it tough and trying to get through the next payday but people who want to pay off a lounge over 12 months or you said look at least they voluntarily followed the financial code those are morally really important things and i'm not saying you should do the wrong thing by buying them or not i do wonder whether speaking of biases whether you kind of went well you know if if, if life was fair zip should win because it's doing the right things um or maybe you just said i don't want to buy because it wasn't doing those things in either case though i would just i would just encourage our listeners not to not to not to assume that uh, just because they f- it feels nicer, the results are necessarily better. Be careful about giving higher weighting to those things that make you feel good, but don't necessarily help the company do better. Um, not not because you shouldn't not because you shouldn't use that filter for yourself, but don't don't overweight the company's ability because it's it feels nicer if that makes sense so separate out your ethical decision of yes no from well it deserves to do well because it's doing the right thing it may uh, but that 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 deservedness doesn't doesn't you know unfortunately karma isn't real that deservedness won't necessarily deliver a better result for the company yeah it's a tough yeah, yeah i mean in, in regards to zip i mean I, i've I think you really hit the nail on the head before with with understanding um, this circle of competence and what is yeah. what is um, outside of that. And for me, most things are outside of it because I'm not that bright. And when I I've, I have looked and dabbled with payment companies before, and usually hasn't yeah. worked out well. And you realize that there's a whole, I mean, the kind of things that are important are usually the things that are not mentioned in the pitch decks and, and the rest of it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You know? So look at, yep, look, at, look at Afterpay. Afterpay was the pioneer. They invented this mm. category. I was like, wow, that's really cool. Uh, everyone's going to start doing <laughs> it this way, which is really just reinventing lay-by, frankly. Yeah. Um, this is all they did. Um, but then that wasn't the strength of the business, um, it wasn't the tech. I mean, tech's not. Well, you've got to be careful here. Tech can be very hard, but like you know, conceptually, mm. it's not. You know, I'm sure if you, a half decent development team could could rebuild the infrastructure of Zip and Afterpay without that much effort. Their strength was in being a first mover and having the brand recognition, and then ultimately in building the network effect up. So. People used Afterpay because it was accepted in more places. Merchants chose to partner with Afterpay because more people came in with Afterpay on their phone saying they want to pay off Afterpay. It's just this virtual circle. You really just can't get to a point where it's just like, am I really going to have 18 different apps, BNPL apps on my phone? Like it's just too hard. You generally have one. And now all the banks are offering it as well. It has become a commoditized product. And so you've got someone like Zip who definitely, I just had a quick look at their their presentation and like, yeah, they, they're they're very much pivoting towards break even. They're not there yet. They're seeing a bit of customer growth and the rest of it. Okay, cool. But there's still a very long run run road ahead, I would say. And in a hyper, hyper competitive market against people and enterprises that are very well resourced and very large and maybe have that more dominant network effect and, and um, you know, marketing mm-hmm. channels and all the rest of it. So it's all of the things that, that you said, yep, I'll take them as true but there's all those other sides of things as well. So does that mean I think that they're gonna go badly? No, it doesn't. It means I don't know. And that Mm, very fact means that I don't know, so I'm not gonna do it. I wish them well, (laughs) good luck. Uh, I can't handicap. Yeah, yeah, 
yeah. every now and again, you come across a business, you're like, I think I really get this. And then you dig into <laughs> it and you're like, yeah. I really get yeah. it. Yeah. I re- and then, the and then I, I yeah. swing hard. Like I swing really hard yeah. when I have a high conviction idea because they are rare. Mm-hmm. And when you find something that you have a lot of firm conviction in, um, it, it, it is something that, you know, when you get that fat pitch, to, to use Buffett's term, you, you really want to take a big swing at it. <laughs> you know, like, because they're rare, yeah. they're rare. Um, yeah, and I'd also double down on your comment too about risk. It's like, I, I don't, I look at my portfolio and I reckon if I showed this to 99% of financial planners and brokers, they go, whoa, that's super risky. Because they're small cap, often pre-profit mm. kind of companies. <laughs> Talk about behavioral flaws. Maybe this is one. <laughs> yeah, Maybe this right. is one. But I, I <laughs> for, for, regard, for my sins, I look at a lot of them, not all of them, but certainly majority of them go, no, that's not that risky. Uh, I think yeah. they're really well managed. I think they've got a really great product. I think there's really durable, sustainable sales momentum in this. Mm. I think if they're not profitable, uh, they will very soon be. And the economics of the business and the, the sort of um, the way it's structured will mean that profit will come and will come significantly so. And it's probably a few years out, but no one's thinking that far ahead. And I'll just twiddle my thumbs for a few years and look like an idiot. And then one, <laughs> one day, you know, be that yeah. overnight success that was like five yeah. years in the making. And that, that generally is the story of my, my big wins, right, is, is looking dumb for a long time and then sort of just being on the ground level when everything takes off. And it's not because because I can't know when that is going to happen. But if you see the things that are in place there, and you know, you you can you can you can make a case for it. But I'd say it's not not that these are all guaranteed. Far from it. But I I think collectively, it's actually no. There's I'm not I'm not requiring a breakthrough in quantum computing or uh, you know a revolutionary drug breakthrough or something you know these these aren't the speculations that are being made it's sort of like do they have a reasonable presence in their chosen niche are people who use their products continuing to use it and use more of it are they finding more and more clients and are they scaling the business effectively and do they have the balance sheet to sort of see them through to that end it's like we sort of check a lot of those boxes it doesn't seem as risky as it what it might as to the first level thinker who goes oh it's small cap ergo it's risky Oh, look at the beta relative to the index, uh, or look at this, or look at liquidity, or any of these other stupid academic kind of descriptors of, of risk, which I don't think any right-thinking person <laughs> would necessarily equate with risk. I mean, yeah, it might lead to enhanced volatility, but that's not risk. Um, so, so I, I just I make that comment there as well. And and again, while we're while we're doing it, and this is as I want, Buffett says that risk comes from not knowing what you're doing. And I think that is the best description of risk that I have, I have heard, as opposed to what some of the more traditional descriptors would, would sort of suggest. Mm. So, yeah. Mm. I think that's right, mate. I think that's right. I, it's one of those things, though, a bit like uh, we, we talked about Charlie's quotes not long ago, um, where kind of Charlie says, you, you, you don't deserve to be an investor or you don't deserve to get the returns. Uh, I, think, I think Warren's right about risk is not knowing what you're doing. Um, but it's also not knowing you don't know what you're doing or or it's it's or it's a you know knowing what you're doing but getting being wrong i think i think it's a 
a couple of here's a little bit too you know the old rule number one don't lose money stuff i think i think they're a little bit too trite sometimes a little bit too short yeah. i don't disagree yeah. with you uh but you can you, know, you can lose money even if you know what you're doing because sometimes circumstances go against you now yeah. again he would say in an overall sense a bit like the rule number one don't lose money is i'm not saying don't lose money in an individual trade or that you can't lose money even if you know what you're doing um he you know he lost money on the justin boots he bought a boot company that went broke um, you know, did he know what he's doing? Yes. Was he wrong? Probably yes. Was he unlucky? Maybe yes. Um, so, you know, I think generally speaking, that's true. And you're right. I actually agree with you. Um, these academic definitions of risk are, are completely useless. Um, but that bias thing, you know, hubris is one of those as well. And I just would say to our listeners, be careful that you don't assume you know what you're doing. Um, you know, the, the older I get, the more I learn, the more I realize I don't know. Uh, there's, there's, some, there's some hubris that you should uh, be, be careful of and humility you should try and adopt in that, in that context as well. A couple of quotes you just reminded me of. One is, is like when I was 13, I, I couldn't believe how little my dad knew. And when I was 20, <laughs> 25, I couldn't believe how much he'd learned in, in like, yeah, the last dozen years. The last exactly. dozen years, yeah. uh, which is always <laughs> great. Such a great line. So great. Yep. The, the other one that we, which you, you reminded me of just then was, I think it's Twain, but it's probably incorrectly uh, attributed. Oh, but it, it's the idea of it ain't what you don't know that gets you into trouble it's what yes. you know for sure that just ain't so just ain't so that yeah. is such and it's beautifully written too Isn't some of those it? you know some of those quote they make sense because they make sense others just come off beautifully that one is just a lovely and i'm pretty sure it's twain too yeah yeah if it's not it's jp morgan although that joke's like getting old <laughs> whilst we had that but uh, yes you know it's that just beautiful beautiful quotes and, and well that, that's it you know the things you know for sure that just ain't so there is uh, you know the more certain you are I, you know, the more certain someone is about something, the less inclined I've I've learned to become less inclined to pay them attention. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. There is something about there is something about conviction which is important, uh, but conviction and certainty are different things. Yeah. You know, and I think if you got someone who's just so certain, what, once you become certain something, you stop listening to alternative views. Yeah. Um, you know, that strong strong opinion is loosely held as a phrase we have oh, used for a love while. Love that. Love um, that. Yep. But it's yeah, it's such an important concept, right? By all means, find the courage of your convictions. But don't be so convicted. Don't be so certain that you stop listening, um, because that's when things will come and get you, and that's that's ugly. Oh, hey, yeah, uh, I would go one hundred percent in one one position if if that kind of certainty yeah, exactly. was possible. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And I'm pretty uh, certain of some of my investments. I feel as though I am, and I feel I defend yeah, them, but yeah. <laughs> not one hundred percent of waiting though. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and exactly. And that's always what worries me when I say, I'm pretty certain about it. It's like, oh, I probably shouldn't be. You know, that. here's the other thing, right? In terms of, in terms of certainty, um, you probably should only ever be about 75% certain of anything. Mm, yeah. Not, not, because, not because you're stupid or cause it, just because life happens. Maybe you're wrong. Maybe you're unlucky. Maybe it goes badly. Maybe there are circumstances you don't even consider. Maybe there are risks you do consider that actually do come to pass despite the fact they're really, really, really unlikely. Mm. Um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? Um, you know, Transurban, toll road business, Sydney airport, airport business. Man, what could, what could wreck those businesses? Come on, they're, they're toll road business. Everyone needs to use them. What, what, you know, surely planes won't stop flying and cars won't stop driving down toll road roads and then you know COVID-19 hold my beer you know it's, it's so it's 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 those things you just got to be really really careful of and I think I don't know I think if you're more than 75% certain about anything not you personally obviously uh, anyone um uh, once you get past that level of certainty uh, I, I I find it I even like I recommend stocks for a living to our members right I really do and even those I'm like which ones are you which ones do you feel really certain about and I, I've got to have the humility to say kind of none you know, like all of them to some degree. And as a, as a group, I feel really good about them. But individually, can, you know, can I tell you five years out which one's going to do best? No. Um, and I, I honestly think, you know, if I tried to, I'd be doing everyone a massive disservice because, you know, it, it, would, it would require me to take a view to say, all right, you know, 
get, get some hubris get some hubris ready get your arrogance out uh let's let's put some stuff on the table come on show me the color of your money and that macho thing that blokes do so badly so well and so badly do they do the macho thing so well it ends up so badly is you know that just that that idea of well, you got to take a position. You've got to know. What's wrong with you? Don't you have conviction? Don't you know what's going on? You know, yeah. what am I paying you money for, Phillips? Um, and, but to be fair, no one says that to me, which is lovely. But that that sense, you know, as as people, but as blokes as well, you start to go, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, what, what's wrong with me? Why don't I know? Um, when 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 the brokers advertise their day trading platforms, it's all take a position. Sure, you know, you're, you're a smart guy. You can tell them what to do. You know what's going on. You know, make money from that from that certainty. Uh, make money from your ego uh, what they should be saying is you know um, you're so arrogant I'm going to make a fortune of you because I'm going to convince you that you know what you're going on and you're going to lap it up because you want to believe it's true and that's how we get to this sort of places well what was it with um, long term capital management that blew them up it was <laughs> it was what the mathematicians call a six sigma event in Correct. other words six it, standard deviations yep. yeah it, it, it was like nothing is impossible um, as, as a good probabilist uh, you know um Probability yeah. theorist, theorist, gosh, can't talk today. Would tell you, but it was it was sort yeah. of like it's, it, it had the same odds of throwing a tennis ball at a brick wall and it flying through because all the atoms just were in the right arrangement. You know, so yeah, theoretically <laughs> possible. Yeah. So very, yeah. very yeah. unlikely. It might happen once every eight billion years, kind of thing, and it happened. <laughs> and it did. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly what it is, mate. You know? And by the way, this is this is by the folly of technical analysis and chart reading and stuff. They'd say, "Well, it hasn't happened before, so therefore it can't happen." I mean, it, it wasn't. It wasn't even that. It, it wasn't even that. It, you know, they hadn't started for first principles and said that. You know, the, the things would need to happen for this to happen. It was part of it. But they also went, "Well, it hasn't happened before," and so you know, what, what are the odds? Yeah. And it's that that you know again the hubris that idea of you know we modelled it and it didn't come out so therefore we assumed it was fine. It's like well you know oh uh, exactly oh, hey, oh, oh the go. GFC the GFC I mean again yeah. watch the Big Short yeah. it's just like well yep. We've got a lot of crappy mortgages in these products and these mortgage-backed securities, yep. but for it to go like we, a lot of them <laughs> can go bad. <laughs> for, so I mean, the, the only way this is going to go bad is if the whole system goes bad. But I mean, you know, how likely yes. is that? It's like, well, well yes. it happened, and it happened within you know in, in the space of a few years. Um, so yep. yeah, <laughs> even, even worse, and this is this is exactly what you just said, but I'm saying it a different way. Even worse is they went, well, hang on, these are all crappy mortgages, but if you add them all together. Yeah. The rule of large numbers says, well, hang on, these are all crappy individually, but if you add them all together and you're getting paid a decent amount, that makes these C-grade mortgages A-plus all of a sudden because we it's not just one mortgage, it's, it's lots of mortgages. And it's only part of them. So add all this together and mathematically you convince yourself that, well, we're diversified, right? Because we've got, we've got a thousand mortgages in there, not just one. And it's only part of them. And yeah, as you say, Matt, what could possibly go wrong? The, 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 uh, they forgot to realize that correlation was a thing. And so when one went wrong, as you say, system-wise, uh, that was exactly the problem. Uh, what, so, you know, it should have been a C-grade product at the best anyway. They convinced it was an A-grade product. And even then, the C-grade product was still not worth C-grade because the correlation of that was was awful. Or if or if you want to um, uh, quote Charlie Munger, which is always a good idea, he says, uh, if, you, <laughs> if you mix raisins with turds, you still have turds, right? And uh, it feels apt to the example just given. God bless you, Charlie. Motley Fool Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. Here's Adam who says, Hi guys, hope you enjoy your much-deserved break over the holidays. Thank you, mate. And thanks for the pre-recorded podcast. 
answers. Yes, I know they're all pre-recorded by definition. That's true. Uh, I will enjoy them while on holidays in Noosa. Now, I feel slightly guilty, Adam, because uh, your holiday back's probably over the time this goes to where we have a lot of questions, but hopefully you enjoyed Noosa and hopefully you will also enjoy uh, hearing your question answered when you get back. Two questions. He says, I have one serious and one for a bit of fun. I enjoyed listening to a few money podcasts over the past few years. Yours is my favorite, he says in brackets. Thank you, mate. And they all say to invest in low-cost index ETFs and go fishing. In November this year, it was pointed out that the ASX 200 has gone sideways for the past 15 years. So you're relying on dividends at about 4%, which gets taxed. Commentators say this is due to to large dividend payouts by companies and not reinvesting their profits as this won't change in future neither will the ASX. And you should look for ETFs that only invest in companies that reinvest profits, e.g. Berkshire. What are your thoughts and do these ETFs exist for Aussie companies? So there you go, mate. The market's got nowhere in 15 years, only dividends, and anyway, the dividends get taxed. So what you should do, according to some commentators apparently, is only buy an ETF that has non-dividend paying companies. Uh, no. Um Market's at a record high. So this was penned in November. Um, we had a, yep. uh, we were recording this before <laughs> That's the end a really of the year. Nice point. The market yes, yeah. rallied very hard towards the end of it. And again, I don't want to yep. count chickens before they hatch, but the market's likely at eight <laughs> or nine percent. And even if it didn't, I don't think that changes yeah. anything, right? Because there's such short yep. timeframes. Is it's all it's all kind of meaningless. Um, mm. So yeah, I, I I I reject the premise of the question, sir. Um, the, the, ne- the next uh, the next thing I would say is this idea of um, dividends paying out dividends precludes growth is just really you know bad thinking. Um, as always, it depends. If if I can retain this, Warren and Charlie have never paid a dividend, and their shareholders have been just fine, right? And they and 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 because they have. They have reinvested that, and okay, I guess this is to your point. Like, sort of like allow them to sort of get growth. But the interesting thing here is, is that they haven't necessarily reinvested the proceeds of those profits in the companies that generated those products. Pro- yeah, profits. Right. That is the big advantage of a conglomerate kind of s- sort of structure. Uh, and then on the other hand, you've got the tobacco companies, uh, Altria and the rest, which have had no growth. In fact, degrowth. Um, and yet whose shareholders have done incredibly well because they've paid out a load of dividends, <laughs> right? So in other words, mm. give, me a, give me a rule of thumb and I'll find you 10 exceptions to it, right? And, <laughs> That's right. And, and so I just, I, yep. don't, I don't like these. I don't like them. It, it, it depends. Is there, is there reinvestment, but sensible reinvestment potential? Sure, keep it. If, if there is not, yeah. pay it out. I can't tell you because I haven't done the work. I don't think anyone's done an exhaustive analysis of it. But the amount of capital that is and shareholder wealth that has been destroyed by companies not mm. paying out a dividend because the CEO thought that well we've been so successful in our little corner of the world let's go to let's go to the US and do the same there. Well, why don't we go into China? There's a lot of people in China. If we can capture one percent of the market there, we'll be laughing. And yet, and yet, virtually no Australian company has had success. Uh, any company that's had success through exposure to China has been by selling stuff directly from here to there. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I.e., rocks yes. or wine or something yes. like that. But yep. but but no one, no Australian company, maybe certainly no listed Australian company has gone into China and gone, "Wow, what a great move that was." In fact, mm. it was. Oh my gosh, we just we just had it handed to us, and we blew up all of that 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 kind of money. 
So was, so were they right by not paying out a dividend? So <laughs> I think I think too often commentators like to say things that sound good but don't always work out in practice. So I would I would I would ignore that and I would look at things on a case by case basis. Um, dividends are tax, therefore don't go for them. Hmm. I don't know. Like I, I think if again I'm not a big dividend investor because I'm not at that age yet. But if I was mm you know, mid sixties or so, and I'd spent my life building up a capital base and wanted to sort of have that work for me, I would have no problem with having some dividends, even if I had to pay tax on it. And given that we've got this wonderful franking system where 30% tax has already been paid on it, it's like, well, sign me up, dude, this is fantastic, right? And even if there is some tax at the end of it, it's like, again, gosh, Australians are silly like this. Like this is a, there is no better problem than a tax problem. And anyone who wants to whinge to me because they, they paid a load of tax in a given year, I just want to slap in the face. It's like the only way you can do that is because you made a squillion dollars, right? Like that, that is the only way mm. that you pay a lot of, of tax. So if you want to be clever and lose money on purpose and then go, ha, 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 Mr. Taxman, I didn't pay you any money. I mean, you need your head red, right? Like give me a million dollar tax bill next year and I'll be happy. I mean, the only way that happens is because I probably made about $2 million, right? <laughs> Right, so that's a good year. That's a pretty good year. And not that I'm saying I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm desperate to, you know, what Kerry Packer say is like, you guys don't do, you, you, you spend all the, you spend all the tax proceeds in a really dumb way, so you don't deserve any more. But um, so I'm not happy about paying it, but but I have to pay it, and the only reason I will pay it is if if I've had a, a you know a profitable kind of year. So I think I think tax is always something to be mindful of, but it is too often the horse behind the cart kind of situation. <laughs> yeah. What do you yep. think? Um, yes. I want to start with one of the statements that I think is incredibly misleading, uh, Adam. Accurate, 100% accurate, and 101% misleading. The market has gone nowhere in 15 years. Absolutely 100% true. If you take the highs of, in fact, 16 years, if you take the highs of 2007 and then compare the current level of market, say, see, Investing is a terrible idea. The market's got nowhere in 16 years. That's absolutely true. If you had invested your entire life savings in one fell swoop at the very top of the market in 2007, you would have made dividends at 4-ish percent and the share price had gone nowhere. That's still not and true. I'm gonna, sorry, I've got to interrupt. That's still not true. Go on. It's, it was 6,700, the all odds at the height of the market. Right. And now it's 7,700. Now, I'm not saying it's a spectacular so it's return, but that's without dividends. in 16 years. Yep. 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 Well, that's, that's my point, right? So dividend, you got the dividend return. Okay, let's say shares didn't go exactly nowhere. They went up, what's that, half a percent a year, 1% a year, something like that. Um, terrible return. Why would you bother investing in shares? Stupid idea. Share investors are dumb. Uh, 100%, sure, sure, sure. The facts are the facts are the facts. When someone tells you that, what you should do, I'm going to be really, really direct here because I like to do this. What you should do is ignore that person and never, ever, ever, ever listen to them ever again. <laughs> because yeah. it, there, are, there are, as the saying goes, people who know the price of everything and the value of nothing. That person is, you know, the, the problem with telling the truth is you then get to say, it's like you can't go broke taking a profit. True, God, 100% true. God, Literally by definition, 100% true. Uh, so, so therefore, follow my advice. No, no, no. It's like we're saying, so uh, the sky's blue, therefore, buy my ETF. You know, the fact it's true doesn't follow that therefore it recommends a certain course of action. Now, almost every day for the 
well, effectively the entire history before 2007, the share market was lower. And most days since then, between that high and when we got back to that high, whenever it was, Andrew, you're right, so we're up above that now. But over that period of time, it's been lower. The thing is, if you're an investor, unless you invested your entire life savings on that day, and if you did, you still made some money. If you invested for the few years before and or the few years after, you put money to work in the market that has done really, really well for you. And if you were five years before that and five years after that, you've done really, 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 really well. If you're investing during the GFC, you've done spectacularly well. If you invested during the COVID crash, you've done really well. If you miss both of those periods and still dollar cost averaged outside that, you have done extraordinarily well. So someone who says you should take only one point in 2007 and ignore every single other day since then when you could have invested, just ignore those days. And just look at this one data point. So you see it's gone nowhere. That is just absolute bollocks. It is a complete misunderstanding. Now, I'm not bagging you, Adam. You hear that and you say, well, sounds real, sounds fair. I am bagging anyone who stands up and holds himself out to be an expert and says, therefore, this tells you anything at all about investing. It is complete bollocks. It is complete codswallop. It will mislead you. Those people are frankly idiots. Okay, let me be really, really blunt. Because it is either, either they don't know, in which case stop listening to them, or they do know, in which case stop listening to them. It, it, is, it is just, it is, yeah, I'm going to Charlie here. It, it's, it's, it's blanket numeracy. Yeah. It is honestly straight out numeracy. If you can look at that, and decide that because that's true, and it is true, therefore you shouldn't invest. It, it is honestly, mate. I I can't think of anyone who less who who less deserves to give financial advice than someone who says that and says therefore this is what that means. Yeah. So I want to put that on the record really clearly. Uh, put my name on it. I'll sign the I'll sign the document. Um, anyone who stands behind that and, and tells you that as a result you should do X, Y, or Z is an idiot. Okay, can I can I give a counterfactual before yeah, you go please. on? Imagine if you and yes, I yes. said, well, okay, we're taking the other side of that bet, and then we're, and like, <laughs> okay, we'll make your case. And I go, well, okay. It, did you know if you put all of your money into the market on uh, March of uh, two thousand and nine? you would have made 15% compound per annum and therefore the share market is the best investment in the world. Or more recent example, you put all your money in the market in March of 2020. And yeah, that's what right. like, yes. So yeah, what, I, what yeah. am I doing? I'm cherry picking the data. I'm taking the lows of the market and I'm using that to say that the share market is the most brilliant investment ever. And I think anyone yeah. would look at that and go, well, that's that's unfair. You can't pick the best time to invest and then base mm -hmm. your case on that. And then, and, you, and the answer is yep. yes, yes, that is correct. <laughs> and and so to your point, it's just sort of like ask anyone, yep. even if it's not a daily DCA. It's just like I don't know. I just put money into the market on the first of January every year, and I've done that for any meaningful yeah. period of time. You've done very well. You know, could have you, should have you done better? Had you been someone who could foresee the exact turning point of every ebb and flow in the market? Well, yeah, okay. But that's like saying, if I only picked these numbers last week, I would have won Powerball. Like it's, it's, <laughs> it's a nonsense. Right. It's such a that's nonsense. Right. So I just, wanted, I just wanted to add the, the other side yep. of that as well, which we, we, won't, yeah, lovely, we will never lovely. be guilty of, of making that. That's why you invest in market because, you know, if you just back yeah, up right. the truck yeah, after every crash, look how exactly. smart you are, you know. But honestly, it is, it is blatant stupidity. And I, you know, I will say, by the way, um, I'm not bagging, well, I'm bagging those people. I'm bagging that view. They are just outright wrong. And, and I've got to say to you, if they don't realize that's wrong, 
then they need to really relearn maths, frankly, statistics. They need to they need to understand cause and effect a whole lot better, and they need to understand uh, you know the the idea of of investing much better than that. If that's all they can bring to the table, they're entitled to that view, but they're dead wrong. And uh, yeah, I, it is. I'm happy to teach them the error of their ways if they if they want to talk about it. Um, but the I I, I, just, I just talked about certainty and hubris, right? Um, I, I will hang my hat on this one. If this makes you hubristic, so be it. If this makes me, un, you know, whatever. It is just it is just outright certain. I've never, I, you know what, mate? I've never had the spare time. I've had it. I've probably watched TV. I haven't made the time to sit down and do the whole, yeah, but if I invested $1,000 every month since or, or $100 every month since or every day since, here's what I would have had. Or if mm-hmm. I invested for 20 years, or 10 years either side of that, here's what would have happened or whatever that, whatever else I should do. Because those are the real numbers. Uh, you know, it is, and even the Vanguard chart doesn't do as good a job as it could of that stuff, right? Because it says $10,000 at a point in time. At some point, we'll roll forward that, that period. It's, you know, that's that's the reality. But um, yeah, just anyway, oh, let's move on because I don't want to I don't want to spend too much time on it, but I couldn't, I can't be stronger. There are fewer things in investing that I know to be true other than people who say that are missing the point entirely. Well, I, I, can, um, I can be a little bit stronger and I will. Um, yeah, generally on. speaking, um, the person who says this is someone who is advocating a very active approach, which is, in other words, yeah, that's they're, right. they're You have to trade because, yeah. yeah, yeah. Buy and hold, anyone that's who buy true. and hold is an idiot, right? Like that's dumb. Yes. You can't look do, at this. You've yeah. got to be active. Oh, it just so happens that I have the tools and the newsletter and that that's going to <laughs> assist you with that. Yeah. You know, I said, because with me yeah. and yeah. my trading system and my little bit of software, you would have avoided this and you would have known exactly when to buy and sell. And so then, so then yeah. the next that's obvious true. question is, it's like if I said, to you mate i've cracked the formula the alchemist couldn't do it but i've done it i've got a formula here that will turn lead into gold yeah do you want want to buy the formula off me now wouldn't you just use the formula like why i've always never had a satisfying answer to it because they're just grifters and there is no answer but i think you've got every right to ask in good faith not have to be rude about it don't have to be offensive about it but it's like well good sir and i say sir deliberately because they're always dudes (laughs) good sir you have this technique that makes guarantees millions in the market Mm -hmm. uh Mm -hmm. why aren't you on an island or a yacht somewhere right now like you know why are you here busting your hump trying to flog this to me when you've got that capacity oh i've i've made so you see it on youtube i've made so much money now it's time for me to give back and to <laughs> teach back. others i was like well you could go work yeah. for the red cross or you could donate yeah. some or money or do it for free you do know? it for free or don't, do sell, it- don't sell your training software give it away for free yeah it. It, there's no they, they are it's full of it, it yeah. is absolute bs and i think if we haven't if we haven't laid that on thick enough yet then i don't know what, <laughs> how else we can do it true true Hey, I will say one thing, by the way, because the, the enterprising intelligent listener is now saying, hang on, aren't you bastards doing exactly the same thing, at least at the Motley Fool we do that? And I think, I say, absolutely. And they'll say, well, what is the difference then? And I'll say, the difference is that we have a get-rich-slowly strategy yes, that, takes, that takes decades. <laughs> I'm not selling you a get-rich-quick scheme. I'm selling you a trading strategy. Why am I not keeping it to myself? Because I reckon I can probably get the market return, hopefully plus a couple of percent a year doing this. That is not going to put me on the Bahamas anytime soon. No. And and me helping you do that is not going to stop me being able to do it anyway because me and you together, even if every listener followed, well, maybe if it was 20, 20 something thousand, uh, yeah, if enough people followed it, maybe it would change prices. But the reality is, I, most of my portfolio are the same companies I recommend to our members, and I don't lose out by sharing that. So there's no reason not to. Yeah. And I get paid to do it. Yeah. So that's, the, you know, I just want to make the point, mate, because you're, you're 100% right, but the, the cynical or skeptical listener saying, hang on, you bastards are doing exactly what you're accusing them of doing. Uh, no. 
No, I, I am offering to try to help. I may not be right, by the way. I'm like, no guarantees, no, no, no fancy software and no promises. I'm trying to help our members get a little bit richer than they might have otherwise been by picking good stocks and staying the course and learning the right temperament to invest. And I might help them get rich slowly. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, so that's, and that's, that's why we are... People say to me all the time, why don't you just do it yourself? Because I don't have enough capital. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not. Well, I am. I am doing I, it. What, I am doing it myself. Well, that's yes. That's also true. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I am. But why I'm not doing? It, well, so I'm not competing to myself because there's no. There's no downside of me sharing it, and I don't have enough capital to to uh, not have to work. Unfortunately, I'd, I'd love to, but that's not where yeah. I find myself. And I think this is worth just for anyone who was saying, "Ah, I got you guys." That's honestly the easy, yeah. easy answer. Yeah, no, try hard. I, I, um, unfortunately, I have to work for my money. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Mate, uh, we're running out of time. Well, not really. There's no, no time limit, but we are getting close to time. I do want to get to the second question, but also I want to finish answering Adam's first. I, I did a bit of a rant and that cost us some time. Um, the So the A6 is rubbish. Ignore it, whatever. Um, the the commentators of what you should therefore do. Uh, I, I couldn't think of a worse idea. The only thing you should do is say, which strategy maximizes my returns? I would, Warren Buffett's actually not no slouch. I'm happy for him to keep the money and reinvest it for me because you know what? I reckon he's probably going to do a pretty bloody good job. Mm -hmm. And that works for me. So Warren, don't pay me a dividend, not because I'm trying to avoid tax, not because of any other clever investment strategy, because I own shares in a company where the person in charge is going to do a really, really, really good job of making it work. Now, I also own shares in Telstra. It's not an active buy recommendation of my stock picking service. It is a current recommendation of our income service. It pays a nice dividend. Uh, I'm really happy with that because Telstra's growth isn't that much chop. It hasn't got that much opportunity to grow. Now, if it held its dividend <laughs> and tried to reinvest it, it'd probably end up getting subpar, subpar returns. So pay that out. In any case, our only thing is to maximize our total after-tax return. In whatever form that return comes, that return comes. Berkshire's been buying back stock. It could have been paying a dividend. Um, whichever Warren thinks is a better option of that, I'm happy to back him and happy for him to, to make that decision. Uh, I, I just, again, I don't know what the commentators are saying. I don't know why they're saying it. It's, it's not very useful. Um, I would be ignoring it entirely and just going, going from that. So that, that's, my, that's my general thought on, on that one. Yeah. Um, here's his second question, mate. Uh, just for fun, let's say you win the $500 million jackpot in the USA. <laughs> What do you do with this much cash? It's a nice problem, but what would you do? While you ponder that, says Adam, I will sip my cocktail by the pool. <laughs> Thanks for your great advice over the year, just because the earth has moved around the sun one more time. <laughs> Merry full-on Christmas. And that's from Adam. Uh, $500 million jackpot, mate. Uh, what's on the shopping list? I would, I would... I would use it as a deposit on a one-bedroom unit in the inner west of Sydney <laughs> because it's about what I'd need. So you're a miserable bastard. I really, I really am. Well, I've got I've got my favourite my topics, and I just I will use every possibility to circle back towards them. Um, there is that. There is that. You know, I, I've actually I've thought about that a lot um, because hope springs eternal. But you know what's yeah. interesting is that there have been so many, so many studies in this. And generally mm -hmm. speaking, people, the level of happiness doesn't change. Like obviously that night yeah. you find out you're euphoric, you have a pretty good first <laughs> year, but you get used to it really quickly. Yes. And, and yes. generally speaking, all your relationships fall apart. 
because the brother that you yeah. gave a million to is peeved at you because you gave 1.2 to your sister and or, or you didn't give him more and you kept 499 of you yeah how come you've only given me that and then your mates <laughs> every time you go out your mates expect you to pay and it's not that you can't but it's more the principle and just, relationships just fall apart and and the things that yeah. are most important to human happiness it's that uh, what hierarchy of needs? What's his name? Um, mm -hmm. Maslow. Maslow. Yeah. So once you've sort of got shelter yeah. and once you've yeah. got the basics ticked off, oh, I'm, you know, I don't have to worry about being cold and hungry and healthy and stuff anymore. The most important thing for humans by far is social connections, you know? And that's why solitary- Is that bubble below um, arguing about property for you, mate? Where, 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 does, where, where, does, where does being narky about the property market sit on, on the hierarchy for you? Is it above or below shelter? <laughs> it's, it's like, I'll, I'll take the ability to do that over shelter, I think. Like that's, <laughs> that's how important it is to me. Honey, I'm outside in a cardboard box, but I'm gonna rant, I'm gonna rant, I'm gonna rant. <laughs> So, so, I, Sorry, so I, I, I think I really, I think we all live in the future and we all go, if only this, then I will be happy. If I get that, I'll be happy. Mm -hmm. If I get a girlfriend, yep. I'll be happy. If I get married, I'll be happy. If I get a million dollars, I'll be happy. And it's just like, not that those things don't bring you happiness, but you've kind of, you, you very quickly take it for granted. So you have certain, um, I was giving grief to a certain um, iron ore billionaire <laughs> Uh, you were WA based person the other day who I just mm -hmm, have a mm -hmm. lot of contempt for, and uh, she's a she's a miserable. Gosh, she's oh, miserable. Nice. Oh, okay. Hey, 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 well, well, just let's let's get us out of trouble, can we? Can and we she's go? as rich as anything, right? And I, I I look at a person like that and just think, imagine the good that you could do in the world, and still still have the perfect life, right? And uh, so, what would I do? I'm just gonna. It feels like I'm like I'm. Um, trying to like virtue signal or something here but i think yeah i would live in a very nice house and i would have a lot of nice toys don't get me wrong i'm not i'm not going to be a monk but i i would i would i know i'd love to go through a hospital and just give a couple million dollars out you know like or or mm. i don't know maybe just like put some real just fund a, do a clive palmer with political ads except not be a bastard about it like maybe <laughs> advocate for some <laughs> things that I felt were really important. Um, yeah. I, and you know why? I, I say that from a non-altruistic perspective because, again, the research tends to show you is that those things bring you a lot more happiness than, yeah. you know, it's, it's like giving a gift brings you more joy than receiving a gift, generally speaking. You know, maybe not when you're nine, but when, yep. you're, when you're 49, yep. that's, that's <laughs> certainly going to say, my, my young bloke has not heard that rumor. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I, I, know, I know, I know, I know how all of that sounds, but I genuinely, I, I think that to answer your question, mm. I, I think I would, I, would, I, would, I would love to just be that fairy godmother that just, <laughs> you know, finds that single mum nurse that's just busting her guts out, doing more important work and just saying, here you go, here's a house or something like that would bring me so much joy. <laughs> mm. I, um, nice, nice question, nice problem. Um, there's stuff I do with the money and there's stuff I do with my time, I have to say. And I kind of think that combination is worth, worth thinking about. Would you do anything different time-wise? I work a lot less. <laughs> yeah, but would you but would you do different work? I guess would you? Yeah, what, yeah. How would you would you fill your days? Would you? I mean, you, you, yeah. I mean, it's hard. You're already making a billion dollars a year with straw man, so that's probably it's hard for you to think about only making five hundred million. But I, hypothetically, I so I I would. I love my job, right? So I'm literally. You know what I think? I would. I think I would give myself permission to be more flexible with my work week. Mm 
Mm. Um, by which I mean, if I wanted to go on holidays, I would. And, and I'd, I'd hopefully come to some accommodation with the boss. So look, I love what I'm doing and I want our members to be looked after. So I'll do it for nothing because you need to replace me and make sure someone's, you know, <laughs> at, at the controls if, if we need something. If someone's got to do some work, do some writing, uh, do some, you know, someone's got to be there to do it, right? It's not fair for me to say, I'm off, I'm, I, you know, I'm wealthier than, richer than God, I'm going around the country or around the world and screw you. Um, but but I think I'd want to stay at the fool, or at least you know work in, work with the fool in some in some capacity. So I guess I'd start there. Um, I'd certainly, I'd, I'd certainly you know because I get paid because I have a responsibility. I, I wouldn't want to shirk that. But I think if I could say, look, I'll do it for nothing. I'll do it for a dollar a year. Um, hey, get someone else to come and kind of fill my my boots, so that someone's doing the work, and and I'll I'll absolutely give as much value as I can. But I'll also be freer to take off on a Wednesday, go fishing, or you know go away for a week to somewhere just because I want to. So I think I time wise, I think I do that. And when I say that stuff, it is those deathbed things, right? Of more experiences with more people doing more things. If yeah. the young bloke wants to go on holidays, to go and do that. If I want to go, you know, those things kind of matter. So. I think that's where I'd start. And that's not what you do with the money, Adam. And I guess you probably know us well enough to know it wasn't going to be a, uh, here's the toys we buy only. Um, I think I'd give the vast bulk of it away, mate, in some way, shape or form. Uh, either as a, I, I may decide I enjoyed directing that traffic or like Warren Buffett, who's just said to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, you take the money, I don't want to, you know, I'm not good at this, you're good at this, you do it. Mm. I don't know what I'd do there. Um, but I'd like to think I'd give a very large chunk. I mean, look after family and friends, all that stuff. That's 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 a you know take that's done with that sort of thing. You know, the family mortgages and all that kind of stuff. Don't, don't forget your podcast co-host, my friend. That's all I'll say. <laughs> I will I will buy you that one bedroom uh, uh, flat in Fairfield. You're after, mate. Thank you. Uh, just you know, it's, it's only reasonable. I'll have some change, hopefully. Um, yes, yeah, so you, you know, I do that stuff. I think. Um, I think on top of work, I, I mean, my passion is finance, right? And it's both investing in personal finance. Um, to your point, I absolutely think I do a lot of advocacy, um, paid or unpaid, and certainly funding, or advocacy and our funding projects. Mm. Um, I think we should meaningfully reform the financial advice industry, not just the people, not just the rules, but the laws that go with it. The, the fact that financial advice is complex, exists because there are so many different you know think about the decision tree of financial advice there are so many different if this then that you know the choose your own adventure is a, it's a telephone book mm-hmm. um well, okay so you have that many kids all oh, right you, well you got that job okay uh your partner's that oh okay um you, you know except it just it, the whole thing is so ridiculously stupidly complex financial advisors aren't needed but they can be beneficial for way too many people not because i don't want people to get good advice but because you shouldn't need good advice 95 percent of us should be able to have templated financial advice which is if you're this age and have this much money follow this investment approach and that's the best you can do mm. should be that should be the answer for 95 percent of us you know the fact that it's not oh you can transition to retirement at this age and if you've got this much money you can give that lump sum into super and you can do that much you've got that many kids and you can set up this family trust to do that thing for those people and 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 you know it is, it is an absolute dog's breakfast so that needs to be fixed i probably would devote a reasonable amount of time effort and money uh to improving personal financial literacy to improving the access to financial advice to improving the um the laws around it whether i'm successful or not maybe it's a fool's errand but i'd, I'd give it a red hot go and uh, and with some some reasonably clear um efforts i'd go on that path here's something really left field mate and this is probably you know we all we all follow our flights of fancy um i would i would actually this is this is i'm, I'm a greenie at heart as you know um i'd probably buy up a whole lot of uh dodgy land and reforest it <laughs> cool. as, a, as a project mm. um 
you know the idea of a you know being able to kind of take a, a large sway of the land and say right all that um you know that's going to that's going to be go towards some sort of conservation project i think is almost returning you know a quasi national park um i might even give it to the government as a national park although it depends whether i trust them to do the right thing um yeah i just think that something like that would be it'd be kind of cool right to be able to sort of put that money to work and say this is being protected effectively in perpetuity appeals to me pretty pretty significantly so i think some some large scale projects like that sort of stuff is probably what i'd do with it um let, let's be a little bit fun for for the end of the podcast uh i'd buy about five or six different cars i've got my eye on um <laughs> not gonna need that many cars just because if i had that much money i probably couldn't help myself a big garage with with five and by the way n- not a single sports car among them i might have a, like an mx5 or something a convertible is always fun to drive but and then just be, just be honestly lifestyle cars right mm. uh i'll take the convertible out today because the weather's nice uh i'm partial to to a four wheel drivers uh you know and our listeners know of having having gone bush i'd probably i'd probably spend a, an ex- ex- extremely uh, obscene amount of money on on doing a four-wheel drive up so it had every bell and whistle on the place just not because i do the hard tracks it's like a touring four-wheel drive just for pure comfort and pure fun um i'd buy myself an old kingswood station wagon we have one as a family and i miss that car terribly uh maybe not eh holden as well though just just literally the fun kind of you know lifestyle cars just for the hell of it just because i could mm. um you what wouldn't. You wouldn't be I, tempted to lobby against uh, tax. You know, lobby for tax reform for the ultra wealthy and uh, <laughs> advocate against indigenous rights and shake your fist at uh, 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 solar panels. <laughs> that that would be a really good no, use of no, your no, time no, for no. someone with hundreds of billions of dollars. I'd, that, and you know, and then and then you could get into then you could get into legal disputes with your children about how you're going to give them or not give them money. I mean, that that seems like a really worthwhile cause. Hypothetically, of course, not not you know, allegedly, allegedly. Um, no, I would, I would, I would, I would intend not to do any of those. Any oh, of those. Oh, that's things. really surprising. Um, yeah, probably because you're yeah. you're, you're not uh, a mean spirited person. <laughs> I think you know. I just there'd be something about winning a large enough amount of money that you could make a really big difference mm. uh, partly but you know the benefit of winning it as much as a lot of people losing you gotta be really careful i put a whole lot in, in trust and invest a whole lot of stuff when i say in trust I, i'd invest a whole lot of stuff for an income stream right because I'm, I'm smart enough to know that that's the way to do it rather than spending down the capital if i'm going to give a whole lot away whatever's left i'm going to i'm going to invest so that i have a, a regular income stream i know that i can kind of rely on more or less um but I think the benefit of winning it rather than making it is, I think some degree, your ego's caught up in that, right? If you build the company, I'm not talking about just the, the mining heiress you may be referring to, but, um, you know, Mike Canna-Brooks, lovely bloke, lives nearby, by the way, which is kind of cool. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, a lot of people, Murdoch, Packer, their, their egos are kind of bought, tied up in their business, right? So it's all about the, the next, the next, the next, the next, uh, and, and keeping yet that position and adding more and, and proving you can do it and all that kind of stuff. And that's not a criticism of them necessarily, but it kind of comes with the, with the territory. I think part of it, to, to kind of your point of like, I didn't deserve this, but I got it. There's no ego in that. There's no, I deserve it. I made it. I earned it. I should keep growing it. I should, it's kind of like, hey, windfall. You know, what do you do with a windfall? I think it's different to what you do if you, you build a business because you just have that culture, that DNA, that that experience where you kind of, and frankly, you're moving in those circles. I don't want to move in those circles, you know. Would I move from my house here? I'd probably go and buy some more property. Like I'd like a larger a block just for the hell of it because I love the bush and I love just being in nature and that sort of stuff. So I probably would, uh, but not a place in Point Piper or a, a fancy mansion on a hill. Um other than that, like, what more do you need, right? Okay, go and make a difference for some people. I think to your point, um, yeah, you look after look after your nearest and dearest, and then put some effort into improving the place. I think is probably what I'd do. Yeah, yeah, you got to have some kind of passion project, right? You, you, I mean, right. The, the first thing you would like again, while we're being real, the first thing you would do is 
buy a whole bunch of toys and just have a great year. Yes, exactly. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's what get I'm it right. out of your system. Yes. You know, stay yes. at every five-star hotel, do, do the whole whatever, you know, <laughs> go up the Caribbean, <laughs> do all of that stuff. I mean, you take yeah, a year or yeah. two to sort of like find yourself and then, but as I say, you're, you're, it's going to get very hollow very quickly. It doesn't see like yeah, just, yeah. I, I know that I, I deeply know that, but I still have trouble believing it, you know, like, it, cause you yeah, kind of yeah. think, how is that possible? But I know it's true. Yes. And, yes, and yeah. um, yeah, I, I, I would, I would really take my time to sort of, we've sort of been shooting from the hip here, but I would, I'd really take my yeah. time to think about, it. I would say this though. That's true too. We've yeah. said this before too. This is a fun question and we're well over time, but I honestly, <laughs> I don't want to really reveal too much about my personal situation, but I'm happy enough to admit that I don't have millions of dollars. I reckon, <laughs> I reckon if I got to, let's think about this. Yeah. If I got to four or five mil, I'm done, I'm out. And yeah, because totally. that's enough to buy me a comfortable house and with the residual oh. have enough of a capital yep. base to generate enough of an annual return to provide more than enough income for me to live the kind of life I want. Um, so I, I think don't- That's the thing with super too, right? Yeah, Go on, keep going. that's all I need. I mean, you know, if I ever get there, <laughs> hold me to account. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I will or not not anytime soon, but but yeah, I I-, I, I I really do look at people who have much more than that and just keep yeah. going for I, I for me for uh, real wealth you you touched on it really real wealth is getting up in the morning and saying I'm going to do this today and just just being yeah. able to like there are no commitments yep. no commitment maybe maybe today I do want to do some work or maybe I want to do some charity, or maybe I just want to like stuff my gob full of like uh, chocolate eclairs and truffles and have an ivory back scratch. <laughs> I don't, I don't know what it is, but every day that I get to choose what I do is a day of immense freedom, and I will take that over being a billionaire that has to work sixty hours each week and answer investor calls and be hauled in front of Congress and all like just like nah, not yeah. for me, not for me. I think you know what I think. They, I mean, they they love the game, right? That's why they do it, and and I I don't begrudge them. No, that's what they want right. to do, but. Yeah. To, to your point, I said, like, I love what I'm doing. As I said, I, I don't want to live the motley fool. I, I love this podcast. I love working with our members. I love being able to, you know, hopefully help some people. I, I, I I'm not, I'm not, you know, asking for any praise here. I get paid for what I'm doing. Don't get me wrong. Um, but I, I, I love doing what I'm doing. You know, some people have this Sunday afternoon. I remember other jobs. Sunday night, like, oh god, I've got to go back to work. And it doesn't mean, you know, some Monday mornings I don't think I'd like to stay in bed. But I kind of go, hey, how lucky am I to do this job? So I, I, I don't think I, you know, I do what I love. Um, that's why I said I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to leave my job. I'd, I'd, I'd love to keep doing what I'm doing. I, I love the opportunity to, to help our members, to help our listeners, to help our readers. Um, it's why I joined the company. So I'd, I'd, I wouldn't want to not do that. In fact, I'd, I'd miss deep desperately not being able to say, here is my suggestion to help you in this particular area, whatever it is. Here's a stock to buy. Here's a, a you know, way to think about investing. Here's a, an answer to a question on a mailbag podcast when we're an hour and 25 minutes in. Hmm. Um, you know, that's, I mean, I, 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 I genuinely love this stuff. I, I, would, I wouldn't know what to do. If I, if I wasn't doing it, I'd be on Twitter ranting anyway, right? So, um, you know, the, the, I, I, I'm very, very, very fortunate. But as you say, the day when it's like, actually, no, today I've got something else I need to do or want to do. And I have the luxury to do that. That is, that is, I do a job I love. The only thing I, the only thing I want to add to my life is if I didn't want to work one day, I could go and do something else. And I, that's not fair to the, the company. It's not fair to our members. And our boss, my boss would probably say, um, Scott, that's not how this works, at least now. But if I get to the point where I work for a dollar a year, 
then I say, hey, mate, look, here's the thing. I want to be around. Make me, make me chief investment officer emeritus. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, give someone else a daily job if they've got to, if they've got to you know, sign the checks and, and do whatever. Um, I'll, happily, I'll happily take some honorific title and, and you know, be as involved as I, I can be. But uh, with a bit more, as you say, that's that freedom of saying, what do I want to do today? I, I'm going to take two weeks off. I'll see you in a, see you in a fortnight. Mm-hmm. No, Scott, thanks. You know, appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's just, it, that, is, that is freedom. That is, that is success, frankly. That's the goal. That is the goal. We done? We're done. Unless unless I win five hundred million and then we are done. <laughs> <laughs> In which case it's the last podcast live here now. I'm you, out of you'd here. Come back and I do never liked week, any you? of you. Screw you all. I'm out. You'd come back. Of I know I you. Would. You of couldn't help I yourself. Would. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I should hope so too. <laughs> Pools, thank you for spending a bit of time with us uh, in a very, very long podcast. Lots of fun questions. Uh, great to be in your ears. And until we speak next week, full on. Cheers. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under Financial Services Licence 400691.